Have you ever wondered what the mood or the background was of that first Christmas story? Just think about it. You know, there was a nation under tremendous oppression. They had been conquered by the Romans. They were heavily taxed. There was moral deterioration happening in their culture, an intensive nationalization, and yet a deep cry in their heart to God. And as we've heard, the wise, you know, that there was a silence. God had not broken through. Racial tensions were at a breaking point. Sherwood Wirt writes, External religious observances were considered a political asset. An abnormal emphasis was placed upon sports and athletic competition. In such a time, a child was born to a migrant couple who was soon to become a political exile. And the child who was born was to be called Emmanuel, God with us. You can just kind of sense, you know, a growing... Abated, waiting, anticipation, wondering, tensions, difficulties. So the first Christmas story was filled with human struggle. And yet in the midst of that human struggle, we see the glory of God breaking in. And I believe that that's very similar to our own story where there's struggle and then God's grace and blessing and glory can break into our lives. So what difference does Jesus' birth And even more importantly, his life, his death, and his resurrection have on us. In Luke's gospel, he shares the message of an incredible event and an amazing explanation. And I want to just start, first of all, with the description of that first Christmas event. That's what really actually transpired. We would actually call that, or theologians would call that providential. That means God is the one who's directly determining what is occurring. Even though we have the story, it seems like a human story, and yet we're going to see the unguided hand, or the guided hand of an invisible God moving through the story. In Luke chapter 2, and verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You know, just figure out who's here. So they could actually tax the people. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the house and of the line, because he was of the line and belonged to the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him as he was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came... For the baby to be born. An unpopular edict, a heavier tax burden, levied by a world tyrant, was God's means to bring about the relocation of Joseph and Mary. You know, God often disguises his purposes in the clothing of adversity. Isn't that the truth in our lives? So often we experience the inconvenience, the heartaches, the headaches, the frustrations, the irritations, and we wonder sometimes. What is God really doing in all of these crazy things that are going on in our lives? And sometimes we even wonder, can any good come out of this stuff? And yet here in this first Christmas, not only is Scripture being fulfilled, but a great blessing is about to emerge. It's interesting how God used an order from a faraway king to get Mary and Joseph headed from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And I think God often uses hardships in our life to bring us where he wants to get us. He really does. And so we have to be careful sometimes that we're not just cursing what's happening in our lives because there probably is a purpose that God's allowing these things in our lives to move us to a certain place in our life. 
Here Luke retells us the story of the supreme ruler of the universe coming into our world. He that was equal with God from eternity is now entering the human family as a child. Jesus comes as a helpless baby boy. But you know that decree was really predetermined. And we see that from the scripture that 650 years before these events even took place, the prophet Micah said this word. He said, You, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Not only do we see in the event God's providence, but we also see God's provision in the story. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, what a fancy way of experiencing life. Jesus is born, but it's quite crazy. I mean, there's no place for him on the planet. You know, he comes down to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph do, and all of a sudden they go to the inn, but there's no room for them. And so they end up retiring to a place where the animals are kept. It's there that Mary delivers her firstborn son. And Luke, the physician, gives us some amazing insight, even though he says it very succinctly. She wrapped him in cloth. That's it. The fact that she did it suggests to us that she was alone with Joseph. There was nobody there to support her during this absolutely momentous event in her life. And I can't even imagine the loneliness or the challenge that this young couple was experiencing. The fact that Jesus was born in an obscure place was a sign that actually enabled the shepherds to find him. And I think it's many times in the lonely and obscure places of our lives that we help others to discover the Lord Jesus Christ. It's generally in the difficulties of life that God's providence and provisions are usually seen best. How many know God does meet our needs? But I would also refrain and say, but God doesn't meet our greeds. Isn't that the truth? You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes he, do, he just does something special and he blesses beyond we can imagine, but generally he doesn't do it that way. As a matter of fact, while some in our affluent society teach that God's children all go first class, just remember that his only begotten son was born in economy. Isn't that the truth? And the reality is if you look around our entire planet, most people are living in economy. And it's not because God does not care for us. But God truly does love us. And he does provide for us. But I really believe that the people who are the poorest in the world are not those that are physically poor. The poorest people on the planet are those that are, that are born, uh, you know, that are not just, they're, they're the truly impoverished. Let me say it this way. The truly poor of our world are those not deprived of things, but rather those deprived of the rich life found in knowing Jesus Christ. That's the poor of our world. We don't think of it that way, but it is the truth. You know, it's one thing to know about the event. And if you talk to most people today in our culture, they probably know a little bit about the event. But the sad part is they know little about the significance of the event. And it's amazing to me how Luke only spends seven verses talking about the actual event and twice as many verses talking about the significance and the meaning of the event. And I think that the explanation is far more important. First of all, I believe that 
Luke does this so that he can challenge us and impact us. And the first thing we have is actually the visitation of angelic hosts. The angels now appear to these shepherds. Now, if you were to travel to Jerusalem today, you could actually be in Jerusalem and see the hill of Bethlehem. It's right there. It's so close. And the reality is most scholars believe that these shepherds were actually temple shepherds. They were the ones who were caring for the sheep that were going to actually be slaughtered to actually address the sin issue at the temple. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel said to them, and the angel, sorry, said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You know, I, I know sometimes we have a funny idea about Jesus Christ. You know, some people even think Christ is his surname. But it's not. Christ is actually a name describing who he is. And so Jesus is actually the anointed one. That's what the word Christ means. Or in the Hebrew, the Messiah. Jesus is this promised Messiah. So he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is actually God. This is a very powerful statement being brought by divine heavenly messengers sent from the Father above. It says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Isn't that amazing? So here, you know, this little baby lying in a manger, this, this obscure, lonely spot is actually the place that God reveals Christ to these shepherds. The message was one of great joy. Why? Because Jesus was not only the Savior of the Jewish people, but Jesus is the Savior of all people. Jesus is not only the Savior for people 2,000 years ago, Jesus is the Savior for people for all time and all of eternity. And that's what brings great joy in our lives. The message was both heavenly and it had earthly significance. In chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom... His favor rests. God desires to bring peace to us. That's, that's a favor from Almighty God. You know, peace was actually a reality in Caesar's time. The, you, know, the, the, you know, historians talk about, you know, the peace that Rome brought. But the peace that Rome brought was really acquired by a submission to a totalitarian regime. It was a peace that was, you know, an external peace, but it was not an internal one. People were still angry, there was restlessness, there was rebellion, there was revolt. And you know, the peace was not a peace that really transformed human relationships. It was not a peace that transformed the human heart. It was just an external peace. But deep inside of the hearts of people, there still remained this unrest, this strife. Has anything really changed? I like what Ronald Rollheiser says. There's much turmoil inside the human heart, a restlessness. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm really restless in my soul. There's no peace within me. Among the many things that work against interiority, that, that's just a nice way of saying what, what's happening on the inside, the true essence of who we are, 
There are three things can be singled out as particularly, particularly cantankerous or difficult. And he names them. Narcissism, pragmatism, and an unbridled restlessness. You know, narcissism is simply a preoccupation with ourselves. We're self-preoccupied. How many know our culture is very narcissistic? It's all about us. It's all about me. And then, you know, there's this pragmatism that so many people are living in, especially in North America. We see it. The excessive focus on work and achievements and the practical concerns of life with no concern about truly the more important things of life. We've been caught up in this pragmatism. And then finally, this restlessness, an excessive greed for experience, an overeating, not in terms of food, but in terms of trying to drink in too much of life. And isn't it true we have no boundaries in our life? We're just going for it. There's just this sense that I, I want to take in as much as I possibly can. People are doing, they're just overdoing all the time. And in the very end, it leaves an emptiness in our soul. Narcissism accounts for our heartaches, pragmatism for our headaches, and restlessness for our, our insomnia. And constancy of all three together account for the fact that we're so habitually self-absorbed by heartache, headache, and greed for experience that we rarely find the time and space to be in touch with the deeper movements inside of and around us. You see, we're really missing what life is all about. We're not stopping and smelling the roses, as someone once said. Neil Postman says, We are amusing ourselves to death. What that is, distracting ourselves into a bland, witless superficiality. You know, he's, we're, you know, these are kind of indictments against our culture, isn't it? That we're just superficial. There's no depth to us. We're not even thinking about things. There's no time to really focus and really zero in on what's really happening in our lives. We're actually good at distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And it's not that we have anything against God or depth or spirit. You know, we would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life, and what they produce in us than we are what God wants to bring into our lives, the spiritual life, the fellowship of the saints, the things that really matter, the things that are eternal, the things that really bring true meaning, purpose, and joy. Peace only comes when a greater power and authority brings strife to rest. Surrendering to Christ, the universal ruler, brings peace into our troubled workplaces, our marriages, our homes, and above all, our self, our minds. Though initially frightened by the messenger and the heavenly host, the shepherds agreed to go and investigate this for themselves. And we read that in verse 15. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. You know, it's interesting, this first Christmas rush, you know, not just rushing about. These guys went out, and, you know, the language really brings out a thought. They began to earnestly seek God. And the Bible says this, if we will seek God with all of our heart, we will find him. But so often, we're not that interested. We're caught up with all the superficial things I've earlier mentioned. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. I just noticed I skipped over something here. Uh, it's Augustine that says this. If God is not the center of our lives, then, our, emo- then our, our passions run amok in all directions. 
And we actually allow ourselves to become debased and imprisoned in futility and despair. If we do not adore God with all our desire focused on Him, we can only live an enslaved life, addicted to our senses. That's it. That's, that's what we're going to live for. But let me just move on here. When the shepherds rushed off, it was interesting. First of all, they heard something. How many noticed that? They heard the angel speak to them. And then they saw something. They saw the Christ in the manger. Do you realize that there's a divine order to life? And a lot of us don't understand that. You see, you have to hear something before you're going to see it. And you have to accept something before you can experience it. See, our culture teaches us, you know, we have to see it before we will believe it. And we want to experience it before we will accept it. But that's backwards, folks. And in the spiritual life, you have to take a step of faith where you have to say, I'm hearing the voice of God. I'm hearing the word of God. I'm hearing the message of God. And now I'm going to respond to it like the shepherds and act on it. And then I begin to see what God has for me. And when I begin to accept what God has for me, then I begin to experience what God is promising in my life. You know, let me close with this thought. It's interesting that you and I, maybe we were brought here by a family member or friend. You know, we're kind of like the shepherds. You know, we're just minding our own business. We had no idea God wants to break into our lives. How many know that was a little disruptive when you're actually minding your own business and angels kind of burst on the scene? How many think that would have been a little upsetting? Might be a little terrifying, supernatural invading the natural world, right? And all of a sudden, their game plan goes out the window, and God is talking to them about seeking Christ. And these guys decide, you know what? We're going to go do it. And they went about that and began to find this child that was born in a manger. And when they got there, they began to worship him. It changed their lives. God's promises became realized. And you know, I believe tonight that God wants to break into our lives. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to respond to him. He wants to allow his life to literally transform our lives. And he wants to bring that amazing peace that I talked about. He wants to destroy that restlessness in our soul. He wants us to find that satisfaction that can only be found in him. And so with those thoughts in our hearts and minds tonight, I pray that you will be like those shepherds who earnestly and eagerly seek him. Let us pray. Father, we do come right now, and we ask that you would open our ears and then our eyes. Help us to accept and then experience your presence in our lives. May you so impact our lives that it would, first of all, transform us, and it would affect the lives of those around us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go home tonight, we're going to sing one of the great... Christmas carols of the season, silent night, we all stand together.
Missed. We we have some uh, nice. What are these flowers called again? Poinsettias. Poinsettias, and uh, and their church is going to be closed for the next week. So if you have somebody who is a shut in, or could make the church today, or somebody who's sick, or a grandmother's at home who couldn't make it, come and hop yourself to a poinsettia after service. We have to take a few little lights off them, but you're welcome to take those with you tonight before you go. And before you're going to go, we're going to sing. Uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. So just turn to somebody and say, We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Glad tidings we bring to you and your kid. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. 